Hello, and welcome to An Unknown Adventure. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann, and this is episode number 41. I missed my one-year podcast anniversary because I have been traveling full-time, and I haven't had Wi-Fi or internet for over a month, or cell service most of the time. And this also means that I have not posted a podcast in over a month, so huge apologies about that, but there was nothing I could do about it, and now I'm back on track hopefully. I want to open with a little personal um, update before we get to the interview, which is with Meggie Tran of Mindful Meggie, who destigmatizes mental illness through travel. So here's my update. I've been on the road full time traveling in my super fun van for two months. And I have to say that it seems like it's been two years because I've done more in the past two months than I've done in the past 20 years. Travel not included. My my travel trips in the past 20 years, not included in that. But my working seven days a week, 18 hours a day, yeah, it seems like I've done a lot more in the past two months because I have. And I can't believe that it's only been two months. I thought it was three months until I checked the calendar yesterday. If you listen to my last short bite, you will hear the pain of my first month. It was brutal. So if you're just starting out or if you're planning to start full-time travel, especially in a van, car, or RV, please give yourself time. I had my breakthrough breakthrough on month two, and I'm freaking loving it now. The main issues that I was having were not knowing where my things were when I was looking for something. And while I still lose a ton of crap, I've organized and reorganized and reorganized again, and now it's actually easier to find stuff. Another issue I was having was getting used to my new space. And while I love small spaces, I kept hitting my head on everything, which I am still doing, but not as much. And this is with a van that I can actually stand in. So I don't have a really good sense of space around my body, and I never have. So this is something that I'm working with and it's getting better. The third problem, which was the biggest issue for me, was that I wasn't meeting people and I didn't know how to meet people. And now all of that has changed. I have met some incredible people. I will say mostly in Arizona and I will be making a separate short bite about that, about how I met the people and what it was like, and some fun and cool adventures that I've gone on with these amazing people. I also want to give a shout out to my upcoming interviewees that are already in the can, and apologize to everyone for taking twice as long as I said I would to produce their interviews. There are five more amazing people after this week, Amazing Maggie. Next week will be Victor Prince, who walks the Camino de Santiago and wrote a book about it. On this interview, Maggie does talk about what it's like to travel with OCD and how travel helps her overcome some major OCD issues. She explains what OCD is, what it's like to live with it. Maggie also talks about her own travel blog, her trip to Costa Rica, living in Arizona, video games, her Vietnamese roots, and family, which leads to a funny food conversation. And now, on to Maggie. So today we're here with Maggie Tran, and can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story and like where you are right now? Yes. 
Hi, everybody. My name is Maggie Tran. I run the travel and mental health blog called Mindful Maggie. And my mission is to destigmatize mental illnesses through travel. I have obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, and also social anxiety, but I love to travel. So I like to share these inspiring stories about my travels as they relate to mental health, as well as share practical advice to help people like me who might have mental health conditions travel. I want to make travel more accessible for uh, people with mental health considerations. Yeah, that's great. And what made you want to do this? During the pandemic last year, I, I woke up one random morning in August and I wanted to be a travel blogger, but I didn't know what my niche should be in. And for some reason, that random morning in August, I thought maybe I should open up about my mental health, as vulnerable as that is, because I've been treated for my mental health condition and I feel like I need to make a difference out there in the world and to represent travelers who have mental health conditions. And if it takes me to be open about it, that's totally fine. And <laughs> it, it was daunting to let people know for the first time on the internet, I have OCD, I have this stuff, but I... I just got a lot of support from people and I'm so glad I opened up about it because then we could talk more about mental health. It's still a topic that's heavily stigmatized. The more we talk about it, though, the more we can break down the uh, false ideas about what mental health and mental illnesses are. Yeah, definitely. And how does it affect your travel? I have to travel. Well, <laughs> I call myself mindful Maggie. I do have to travel with more mindfulness and with more awareness of what's going on in my brain because OCD is a chronic disorder. I can't get rid of it. It will be with me for life. So I have to be aware of OCD thoughts that might come up when I'm traveling. OCD thoughts are obsessive thoughts. Think of it like a broken record. It just keeps spiraling on and on. It can be like that for a long time. And it's really important for me to recognize when OCD thoughts come, because if I don't, then it might bully me into compulsions, which is usually checking. I can give an example. I was in Canada in 2018 and I was in a Dairy Queen and I just paid for my friends. My OCD made me worry that I would drop my wallet in the Dairy Queen and so I'd lose all my cash. The root of my OCD fear is that I'm going to lose my money. So as I was putting my wallet into my backpack, it forced me to keep staring inside of my backpack. In my head, it just kept repeating the same fear over and over. You're going to lose that money. You're going to lose that money. So you better make sure and check your backpack to make sure it's actually there. But no matter how much time I spend checking inside my backpack, my OCD is never convinced that it's really there, even though it's really obvious that it's there. I'm just fraught with anxiety the more I check. And yeah, finally, I had to tear away from it, but it just brings on so much anxiety. Even after I check, the anxiety just builds on and on. Wow, that's awful. It is awful. Wow, I don't like it either. <laughs> is there medication for it? There is medication for it, but I don't like taking medication and I've been faring fine without it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it's better if you don't, if you don't have to take it for sure because of all the side effects and bad parts of the medication. Yeah. Side effects. I I don't like the side effects either. I tried this one medication. My psychiatrist said, Oh, maybe you can try this and just test the waters. And I tried it. It gave me serious side effects, like rapid heart rate. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm not exercising, but why do I feel like I'm exercising? So I'm just, I stopped that medication. I only took it for a day and I haven't taken any mental medication ever since. Wow. That's great. That's awesome. And with your traveling, are you full-time traveling? Are you part-time traveling? I haven't full-time traveled yet. Most of my travels have been domestically in the U.S. and usually they're family trips because um, I'm Asian and typically Asians like to spend a lot of time with family. So I do a lot of road trips with my parents. And recently I've been taking more international trips up until COVID-19, of course, that ruined everything. But yeah, I've also taken trips to Australia, then on the other side to Europe. And I also studied abroad with my college to Costa Rica. I was planning to travel internationally and backpack through parts of Asia and South America last year. But yeah, we know what happened. But you can still do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the pandemic has dwindled down. Uh, Right now, I'm focusing on my university studies. I'm just starting my senior year. And I hope to wrap that up and then eventually make my way down to South America, like Colombia. Wow. And why Colombia? I actually, I met quite a few people at my college from Colombia. My Spanish professor is from Colombia. I've met a few friends who are Colombian. I don't know why. I, my community college is from Arizona. I just moved to California, but my college was from Arizona. And for some reason I kept running into Colombians and they kept talking about their life in Colombia and traditions and food and all that stuff. It was thanks to these people that I met that inspired my wanderlust to go to Colombia. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been that interested. But I do hear from a lot of travelers. There's a lot of positive rave about Colombia these days, I've noticed. Yes. Yeah. And you speak Spanish or you're studying Spanish, right? Yes. I just speak elementary Spanish. Just the typical, hola, como estas? And all that stuff. (laughs) It's a start. It's a start. We got to start somewhere. That's right. (laughs) Once you're there, you pick it up. And I know very little Spanish, but I find that where I'm, when I'm somewhere where I know like just the rudiments of whatever language, I start understanding it more. Yes, that's, there's nothing that can be going to that country to use the language. Um, When I studied abroad in Costa Rica, I just came with whatever elementary Spanish I knew, but I felt like I really picked up a lot of Spanish when I was in Costa Rica. So I just, I just trust the process. And did you like Costa Rica? Oh, I absolutely loved Costa Rica. Me encanta Costa Rica. Yes, I came there to study for tropical biology and photography. We went through several spots around Costa Rica, including a field station for tropical biology. And we went into the jungle and we studied plants, animals, took notes, took pictures. This basically the stuff that you might see on National Geographic or oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Wow. And where, like, did you go all over or were you in one area? 
No, we traveled through different parts of Costa Rica. The first place we stayed at was La Selva. It is a field station in a town called Serapiki. And that's, I think, like an uh, maybe an hour east of San Jose, the capital. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Tortuguero, which is a tourist hub on the coast of Costa Rica on the, is it the Caribbean? I think it's the Caribbean Sea. And then we went to this little lodge at the border of Costa Rica and Nicaragua for more jungle experiences. And then we finally ended up in Monteverde, which is also a really big tourist hotspot in Costa Rica up to the cloud forest. I was going to ask about the cloud forest. Oh yeah, I, that was actually uh, my favorite part of the trip. The weather was a lot more pleasant up there. It was less humid and the temperature was mild um, compared to the, the lower elevation. And I love the cloud forest because in my head, that was what I was picturing when I thought of tropical forest. In the other parts of the other jungles I've been to in Costa Rica, it was surprisingly dry. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, Monteverde exceeded my expectations when I think about jungles. Wow, that's so cool. And would, do you want to go back? I want to explore more of Central and South America. I think for now I'm done with Costa Rica. I'd like to see its neighbor. I'd actually like to start my South American trip in Panama, even though that's not South America, but it's close by. And yeah, I want to start in Panama, make my way down to Colombia, and we'll see where it goes from there. That's cool. Are you, do you backpack? Is that how you travel? I want to start backpacking. I wanted to start last year with the pandemic and all, but yes, eventually I do want to start backpacking through South America and Asia. Yeah. I bet. That sounds cool. Yeah. I've never been to South America. I've been to Mexico, but oh. South America. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's part of the, that's Latin America. Yeah. Yeah. Latin America is so diverse too. I'm learning a lot of cultural stuff in my classes and we're not, we're thinking more than just Mexico. We're thinking about so many countries in Latin America and also Spain. Yeah. South America is huge. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places down there. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of places down there. I don't know where to start. Okay, I'll just start from the north. I think that's the easiest. Yeah, yeah. start from the north and go, yeah, why not? And then see where you have a favorite and spend more time there. Yeah, that's the thing about travel. We can only plan so much, but once we actually hit the road, okay, we might, some of the plans we might throw out the window. Actually, that's what I wanted to talk about too. So OCD is a disorder that loves certainty, but no matter how much I try to please it, it will never feel certain, but it keeps wanting me to reach certainty. And so with OCD, I have to embrace uncertainty. And I don't think travel should be used for therapy. If you need mental health services, you need to go see a therapist, not travel. But I do think that travel is a way, is it travel teaches me how to embrace uncertainty. Having a disorder that hates uncertainty, I can lean into a thing I like to do, which is travel. And through travel, I learn how to embrace uncertainty. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's helpful. That travel can kick OCD's butt. <laughs> yeah, but do you find that it's constantly a battle or no? Does it get easier? 
I think it does get easier over time. Yeah, actually, after that Canada trip, I finally sought mental health services. I kept denying that I had a problem for so many years. I just blamed it on weird teenage faces, but that's not true. It's actually a mental disorder. And after I got therapy, then my travels became a lot easier. Like I knew how to cope with the OCD thoughts that popped up sometimes. Right. No, that makes sense. I don't like being spontaneous. Like I just say I'm a not spontaneous person and I need to plan everything. And that when I'm traveling, I'm forced into spontaneity. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then I'm okay because I'm traveling. Like there's nothing really comfortable about traveling. So I'm already uncomfortable in a foreign place where I don't speak the language. So why not go over here and go to this cafe because I feel like sitting down for five minutes when I really wanted to go to that cafe that was three miles away, but I can't seem to get there. Yeah, we got to be flexible. And I'm glad travel teaches us that because like OCD doesn't like flexibility. It loves rigidity. And so I do think traveling teaches me so much about living with a mental health condition, though it's not a substitute for therapy. And what about your family? How do they feel about you traveling and and your OCD? About travel, they absolutely support me. And I'm glad like I'm Vietnamese and I'm just glad that they're, they have an open mind about me traveling. Now, when it comes to me traveling solo, which is something I really haven't done yet, I think they might have hesitation. So maybe I'll have to get back to you on another podcast episode or something. But but generally, yes, they do trust me when I travel. And I've been in, I've actually been into some sticky situations. There was this probably the scariest travel moment I had so far. It was actually my first solo female travel experience. It was a layover in Florida. After my Costa Rica trip and I was there, I just decided to spend a day in Florida by myself. And as soon as I came to the hotel, I had a scare because a stalker was following me all around my hotel, but I evaded him. And then eventually the police kicked him out of the hotel. So that was scary. Oh, wow. But but, yeah, my parents, they like my parents, when they, when I went off to Costa Rica, they missed me, but I'm glad that they could also trust me too. And I'm just so grateful for them for that. And about my OCD, they're also fully supportive of that. I was scared at first telling them, how could I tell them that their only daughter has something weird going on with her brain? And at that time, I didn't know I had OCD. So I just told them, hey, mommy, hey, daddy, I'm having these weird thoughts. Every time I go to the kitchen, I can't stop worrying about the burners being on or off and all these things. And they were worried, but they were also willing to support me with my treatment. And they were also willing to learn more about the disorder and how to live with somebody who has OCD. And again, I'm so grateful for them because in traditional Asian families, they may not be so supportive. They might actually think mental health is a taboo. They think, oh, mental health is fake. All you need to do is toughen up and you'll be fine. But my parents were very understanding of me. That's great. That's great. You're lucky. You have good ones. (laughs) Yes, I am. Yeah, that's also part of my mission. Like I write about travel, but I also try to write about Asian experiences too. Like I write about what it's like to be traveling as an Asian person. And then I also write some pieces about Asian and Asians with 
mental health experiences or I share resources for Asians who might have a mental health condition. I actually hosted some Facebook lives as part of my Asian club at my college and I invited experts and I interviewed them about mindfulness, about the Asian experiences with mental health and all these things that I hope inspired other Asians and Pacific Islanders to take care of their own mental health and try to reach out to their families. Yeah, that's great. Did you get feedback for that? Yeah, I got a lot of positive feedback from my peers and my mentors at my college. And in fact, they used my Facebook live interviews and shared them in their classes. Like some of the psychology professors wanted to show their videos to their students. Oh, good. That's, <laughs> good. Great. that's great. Yeah. That's really cool. And were you, so were you born, you were born here? Yes, I was born in the American heartland in Missouri. How can it be, how can it be any more American than that? (laughs) Have you been to Vietnam? I actually have not even touched Asia yet, but I want to. (laughs) Yes, I need to explore my Vietnamese heritage and also build an identity out of myself. I do admit I was assimilated into white culture, especially growing up in the Midwest, where like everybody in my classroom was white, and usually I'd be the only Asian. So I didn't get to learn a lot about Asian culture. But now that I live in California, I'm around my family. In fact, I'm at my aunt's house right now celebrating Mother's Day. I get to eat more Vietnamese foods. I get to practice more of my Vietnamese language, something that I couldn't really do as much in the Midwest. I'm glad to be closer to my family and to also visit neighborhoods with a lot of Vietnamese. Yeah. And Vietnamese food is so amazing. <laughs> What's your favorite dish? Bun. Bun? Bun. Like- Boon, boon, bun. Oh, noodles. Yeah. Noodles? Yeah. Noodles? I know I say it wrong. Yeah. Because it's spelled B-U-N. Right. Yeah. It does look like bun. Yeah. The vermicelli noodles with the with that sauce. Oh, I don't even know what it is. It's so good with the little grated carrots. Oh, oh you know what? I need to invite you to my house right now because we're like my family's in the garage right now and eating foods outside, like all kinds of Vietnamese stuff. I don't know what they cooked, but I'll find out after this. <laughs> and I'll be jealous. That's great. No. <laughs> and then Vietnamese coffee is like, yeah, there is no coffee like that. There is, there's just nothing like that. Are you oh. talking about the iced coffee cafe soda? The one with the, with the cream, with the evaporated milk. Yeah, that's, I think that's what it is. Yeah, that's so good too. It's so rich. Oh no, it is iced. I think you're right. It is iced. It's so rich. It's so good. Vietnamese coffee is like the best thing I think in the world. So I think Vietnamese food is becoming really mainstream these days of people are always talking about, oh, I love that sandwiches. And I think it's cool to see so many people, not just Vietnamese people, but I've seen Spanish speaking people, white people sitting down at Vietnamese restaurants and just chowing down. (laughs) Well, yeah, in LA, California. And it's funny too, because it's hot in LA, but no, they don't care. No, it's so it's affordable for that amount of food. And it's also just feel good food. I get that all the time. 
Yeah, it's like comfort food. It really is. My mother cooks it whenever we're sick or something. Aww. It's just, just it, it warms my body and most of all my heart. Oh, <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I'm Jewish, so we actually have pretty good food. Yeah, like Jewish I, food I is pretty good. I don't think I've tried a Jewish food yet. Yeah, is can I go out to a restaurant? A deli. In I LA, there's delis. In New York, there's delis. The one that most people have eaten, but they don't realize or they don't associate is, we say lox bagel and cream cheese, but it's smoked salmon. But we call really? it lox. Yeah. yeah. Lox. Oh, yeah. oh, I never knew that. Yeah, I got to try that sometime. Is it like the deli? Is it, does it say Jewish deli or like? No, it'll say like in LA, there's Cantor's deli or Art's deli. Those are the two big ones. There's another one that I don't want to say the name because it's not as good, but. Cantor and. Cantor's, yeah. And Art's. Yeah, C-A-N-T-O-R-S. And then there's another one that I don't know the name of that's also really good. But the one in North Hollywood Studio City that's really good is Art Steli, A-R-T apostrophe S. Oh, it's amazing. Wow. Oh, oh, man. Oh, I'm, I'm so hungry now. I haven't yeah. eaten since like 10 o'clock or something. Oh. Yeah, me <laughs> yeah. neither. Just, just oh, saving room for the yeah. big meal in the garage. As you should, because you will have some delicious food. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up eating like cow's tongue and that was and just all different kinds of fish. And that was just normal for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I admit I'm a picky eater. I don't know why, but when food has a lot of flavor, somehow I just don't like it or it takes a long time for me to get accustomed to it. I'm trying to eat more Vietnamese foods, but it's hard for me because I grew up with an American diet and cheese and all that stuff. And Vietnamese food is so flavorful, but I'm just not used to the, for me, it feels like a punch to my tongue. There's so much flavor in it, but yeah, I'm I'm trying, I'm working on it. And I used to, I used to say no thanks. I'll just eat whatever plain food there is, but I'm trying. (laughs) That's funny. And see, cause I grew up in LA. I grew up around all that diverse options of food. I started eating sushi when I was six years old. Wow, that is, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, and I could use chopsticks at that age. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you, you taught yourself? No, my, I think my family taught me. That was just the way I grew up. We just always ate flavorful food. I don't even think I knew what American food was until I went to college. And I was like, what's that? I didn't even know. Until you went to In-N-Out Burger or something. <laughs> right, I don't know if I've even been to In-N-Out still. Oh, I'm not <laughs> No, you're you're Californian. I mean, you got to have in and out at least once. Yeah, I've had it like twice. I think in my whole life. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, All right. So, what is next for you? Because of COVID, you don't have like specific plans other than you want to go to South America. But anything else? I actually, I do have a specific plan. In just a few weeks, I'll be heading up to San Jose. So just south of the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And I'll be living with my aunt for about a month because I'm going to help her move. And I'm also going to spend time with my cousin. Right now, she's on a break from her university. So we'll spend some time together exploring the Bay Area. That'll be fun. Yeah. And it's so funny. San Jose has grown so much. It used to be small and it used not small, but smaller and cheap. And now it's really expensive and huge. Yes, it is. Oh my gosh. Maybe that's one of the reasons my 
aunt wants to move. She wants to move down here to Santa Ana because there's a large Vietnamese population. In Santa Ana, there's a neighborhood called Little Saigon, and it is the largest Vietnamese community outside of Vietnam. And I think my aunt just wants to spend more time with with people who can connect with her. She's feeling a little bit lonely in San Jose. And plus, I think with the prices skyrocketing, I, I guess she's just tired of it. Even though Santa Ana is, ex- is expensive too, the Bay is, whoa, like, yeah, super expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. I was just watching a video of this girl that said she, from what she pays for one month in rent in Florida, she can live for several months in Europe and Eastern Europe wow. or most other places. Even what I pay, like I was paying like $300 a month for just my utility, just PG&E, just the gas and electric. Wow. And I have a small place. Wow. Like an apartment or a small house? I have a, a, a one bedroom apartment. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The Bay. I don't know what it is about the Bay. Maybe it's just because land is so precious. Yeah. I feel like everything is so tight there. Like all yeah. these places are crowded and there's just not enough land, but there's so many jobs, especially in STEM. And so yeah. right. prices are going up. Although now people in tech are moving out. So, mm-hmm. cause it's too, even too expensive for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Somebody's got to move out at some point. Right. So, so how, so apartment rentals and how housing is at a is going up because everybody is moving in, like buying, but apartment prices are going down. Oh, okay. I wonder where they're heading. Actually, I just moved from Arizona to California. And I know there's a lot of Californians moving to Arizona just because the the cost of living in Arizona is much cheaper than it is in California. At the same time, that's driving up the house prices in Phoenix too. There's more people coming. There's also, there's a lot of jobs in the Phoenix area these days. And yeah, we're seeing an influx of Californians, but I went the opposite direction. (laughs) Right. Right. But you went for family. Yes, that is, that's the reason why we moved. And we found this affordable place in Oceanside, California. Wow, It's affordable because it's a suburb of San Diego. So it's on the northern tip of San Diego County, right next to Camp Pendleton. And it's a small town. And so things are a lot more affordable there. And did you like Arizona? I liked Arizona, but I think I like California more just because I'm closer to family. There's more Asians out here I can connect to. And well, there's the beach. Yeah, meet the beach. And yeah, and, and it's also, we also moved because of the weather, because my parents developed like breathing problems while they were in Arizona. Just so you know, the air quality in Phoenix is bad, like oh. pretty bad. Yeah, it's the pollution. And I think it's also because of the heat. I don't know, somehow it's just, it's, it's, and the dust. Yeah. And then there's also the dust from the desert and all that coming together and the pollution from the cars. It's just all mixing up in some dirty bubbles. My parents were, sometimes they got really sick there and my dad had surgery on his nose and everything, but it still didn't like completely fix the problem. Uh, every winter he would have fevers and sometimes he'd have to lie in bed. So wow. that concerned us. And 
Yeah, eventually we moved to California during the pandemic, but my college classes and like my degree and everything is online. Mm. I made that decision during the pandemic because we don't know when we're going to get back to normal. So I just moved everything online and that gave us a chance to move to California. That's good. And what is your degree in? English, bachelor's in English. Oh, okay. And what are you going to do with that? I don't exactly know what I want to do with that yet. I I already have a blog and I'm already writing a lot of pieces. There's that. I've already done a little bit of freelancing too. So uh, English is such a versatile degree. There's so many things I could do with it. I could even teach overseas with that degree with a TEFL certificate. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of jobs. I have a friend in Cambodia who's teaching English online to children in China. Yeah, there's so many opportunities for teaching English these days. I actually took an English class about the role of English all over the world. And it's really just going to grow from here on. There's always somebody who wants to learn English because it's such a valuable language mm-hmm. for business or school exams and the like. Yep. That is true. And where do you see your blog going in the future? What is your plan for your blog? I'd like to expand. I don't have any products yet, but I like to write books and specifically graphic novels. If you go onto my blog, you'll see that all of my featured images from my blog posts are literally a one panel comic. I have a picture of me or some real life picture. And then I put in a comic text bubble of me saying something or whatever. Like I love comics and graphic novels. And I also wanted to implement that into the aesthetic of my blog. And then eventually I'd like to write graphic novels. Though I do have to find an illustrator because I'm terrible at drawing. <laughs> but but if you're drawing right now for your blog, you can't be awful. Oh, I'm not drawing it. I just paste the text uh, on the image. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I still draw like a five-year-old. Oh, okay. Okay. But you, but you have ideas of like storylines for graphic novels. Yes, I'm yeah. thinking they're forming in my head right now, but I need to travel somewhere so I can make these stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and write them down. So you yeah, have to get them because yep. I mean, yep, for I me, all typed up. Yeah, yeah. If I don't write it down, I'm like, what did I, what was that idea gone? Yeah, I'd yeah. say as a writer, it's so important to put stuff down on paper because it could slip out the next second, although that was like a brilliant idea. So yeah, I keep journals and yeah, I just jot down whatever that comes to mind or I keep sticky notes and I put it next to my computer so I can put it in an electronic format when I get the chance. Yeah, it's so important just to have something to write down. Yeah. And you could even focus on mental health in graphic novels. Is that even done? I haven't read it. I think maybe, but I haven't, I'm trying to recall, but I haven't really like seen like notable titles yet. Even in terms of travel, there's not really like a lot of graphic novels about travel either. There are a few out there, but they're like titles that most people don't know, you really have to go looking for them. And most of them are outdated too. So I want to see where I can go with that. 
Yeah, I like that. That's cool. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you wanted to say or talk about? I think we just about covered a lot. We covered like so many things, like in extra topics too, like food. Of course, we have to talk about food. That's obligatory. (laughs) But but yeah, I think uh, we covered just about everything. Unless you have any other follow-up questions, Kimberly. Yeah, my last question is if you could tell your 12-year-old self something now that you know now that you didn't know then, what would it be? I would tell my 12-year-old self to to get out the door and explore more. I admit when I was when I was in my pre, oh, of course, we're talking about awkward teenage phases, right? I'd say when I was younger, I kept to myself a lot. I really didn't go out. I didn't like I traveling, but I wasn't really into it as much as I was in my later years. I just stayed at home all day. I was a homebody. And you know, I just stuck around, played games, read books. Those are fun, but I wish that I was more into exploring when I was a little kid. And I think I would have had um, more opportunities to enjoy myself out there wherever I visited. My parents would take me on road trips, but I didn't really enjoy them as much as I would now. I still enjoyed them, but sometimes I just wanted to go home and just play on my video games or something. So I was a, I was a geek back then. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, but that's what I would tell my 12 year old self just to go out and explore more. Uh, Admittedly, I lived in Oklahoma, and there really isn't much to do around there. So maybe that's why I was just stuck at home all day. And just I just wanted to keep to myself. But I actually visited Oklahoma a few years ago. And I think that I could have had more fun if I looked harder. (laughs) Yeah, also, it's probably changed since when you were little, too. Yeah, I think so. Like there was this, there was this public park in my town and for some reason I didn't know about it when I was little. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's new. I'm not sure, but honestly, uh, things haven't changed a whole lot there, but I came with a different mindset. And yeah, that's what I would tell my 12 year old self to go out and explore more. Okay. That makes sense. And then do you still play video games? I still play a few video games, but not nearly as much as I used to. Plus the video game that I really was into, it it's ended. I, I can't play it anymore. It was an online game and they had to shut it down. And what game was but that? It was a really popular virtual world called Club Penguin. I'd say that is... That was the pinnacle of online gaming in the 2000s. People all over the world played this game called Club Penguin. Uh, People would come on as penguins. That was their avatar. And they could, the slogan is waddle around and meet new friends. So you'd make these virtual friends. You could chat with them, play games with them, explore the rooms. Um, It was a lot of fun. I was an online student even back then. I spent a lot of time on that game. Yeah, I'd say that game really changed my life. I even visited Canada because of Club Penguin. I wanted to visit the hometown of that game. It's a small town in British Columbia called Kelowna. And that's where Club Penguin was founded. And that's where many of the former Club Penguin employees still live. So I wanted to visit them and just say, hi, I was that penguin that you knew for so many years. And now I'm here. I get to visit your hometown and meet you in real life. (laughs) And what did you think of the town? 
it's like your typical small town. It's like you, even though I was only there for one afternoon because I knew the people so well because of this game. I felt like I walked around the corner and I met somebody that I knew. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a small quirky town between Vancouver and Calgary. Most people go there as a summer vacation spot because it's actually one of the most temperate places in Canada. Because where it's situated when we're talking about geography, the winters are actually milder there than it is in, say, Calgary or some other parts of Canada. A lot of Canadians will go there for a kind of a summer vacation, but people outside of Canada don't know Kelowna unless they've played Club Penguin. So it's funny how these young people all over the world know this little town in Canada, but that's about it. (laughs) That's funny. I I was in the early 2000s. I was playing EverQuest. I've never heard of that. Is that like a virtual world? Or? Yeah, it's a massive multiplayer. Yeah. Yeah. I there honestly, I haven't seen a lot of MMOs lately. No, I haven't I mean, either. Not I lately. Just because of the trends in gaming now. Games are more about quick playing. We're talking about mobile games. Just log on for a few minutes each day. I'm seeing a lot more of and you can play PlayStation or Xbox. You can have multiplayer, just you don't have mm-hmm. to use your computer. So That's true. Yeah, though I do miss the accessibility of just coming on a computer, going on a website, and um, just going to these rooms where you can meet people. Yeah. Yeah, I got really close to some people on EverQuest, and I'm still friends with one girl in particular on Facebook, and we chat sometimes, and she was much younger, and I felt like I was like the mom. I just felt like I was helping her because she was so much younger, and I felt very protective, and Oh, that's now she's all grown up. So <laughs> I think it's great how these online friendships become something much more. They become yeah. like real life friendships outside oh, yeah. of the game. And I'm also grateful for Club Penguin because, well, now, now that we're older, it's okay for us to connect outside of the game. And so right. I was able to make friends outside of the game and maybe I'll visit them at some point and yeah. I feel like they've sparked my wonderlust just because I want to visit them in real life now. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Where can people find you? You can find me on my blog, mindfulmaggie.com. And I'm also on all the social media platforms at mindfulmaggie everywhere, except on Instagram where I'm at mindfulmaggietravel. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Bye, Kimberly. Bye, Maggie. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you received value from this podcast, I would be crazy happy if you could leave five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. That does help the podcast get seen by more people. Or you could share it with others who you think may benefit from listening to it. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and have a fantastic day. Okay.